0: Hey, everybody, welcome to episode seven of Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that challenges our assumptions about faith and aims to move the average Christian from status quo into boldness. For this episode, we were able to go to Clarksville, Tennessee, and Ben had the opportunity to talk to our friend Carlos Serrano about global missions and disciple making and where race intersects with those. They discussed this idea of white saviorism and how it impacts not just international travel or cross cultural missions but where it's present at home, in our normal day-to-day lives. Carlo is extremely knowledgeable and a great teacher, and I'm excited that we have the opportunity to share this conversation with you. Okay, well, I have the privilege and opportunity to be sitting here with Carlo, pastor and doctor, I believe is is, uh, the appropriate, Dr. Carlo Serrano, who we are in Clarksville, Tennessee not spent much time in Clarksville other than times hanging out with you. Yeah. Uh, So we'll give a little bit of context for, for who you are more individually, but just for uh, from an uncharted standpoint um, you belong to a church, you're a pastor at a church here in Clarksville. I'll let you explain that church and your heart and vision and mission that in the last several months has started to develop partnership with uncharted, which we're very excited about and thankful for. Recently, before pre-pandemic, you got to actually travel to Myanmar with us, with our very own Shelby Baldwin and Jeff Bunting and a, and a team. Um, so there has been a really cool developing relationship between uh, between you personally and us, between your church and Uncharted as an organization. So thank you for that. And yeah, just excited to be interacting with you and, and talking with you today about Um, a few different, but connected topics and we'll introduce that as well, but maybe you can just start and tell us a little bit about like, what do you love about living in Clarksville? Uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and, and family and context and background and all that sort of good stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for coming all this way, uh, to, to hang out and to talk. And, uh, I, uh, have been in Clarksville since 2003, technically, Uh, like many people, the United States army is what brought me to Clarksville. So Mm. probably one of the things I love about living in Clarksville is it is a microcosm of America because it is Mm. a military town. Uh, the one caveat to military town is everyone sees things through that particular Mm. worldview. So, uh, obviously people from New York who are in the military don't see life like people from New York who aren't in the military. Mm. So, uh, but there's that common experience that everyone has, uh, on a typical sunday if we asked everyone to stand up who is active duty veteran or family member of um it would be lowballing to see 80% of the the congregation stand up wow. and say yes that's me that's yeah. every single church in this city okay um has that deep of a connection now some of that is my grandfather was in vietnam and we stayed here yep so, um but nevertheless everyone's kind of connected to that world so that's what brought me here that's what i love about living here i've lived all over the country traveled the world and uh I love Clarksville because it's it gives me the best of both. It's yep. it's small town enough uh, that you're not dealing with some of the headaches of living maybe downtown Nashville, but yep. downtown Nashville is 45 minutes from my driveway. Yeah, so I nice. can get all that I would want from the big city. I could be at an airport in an hour.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, love love living here. So I said technically, got here in 2003, but I was only here for seven days. And then I got on a plane and went to Iraq for a year okay. and then came back. So I didn't really start living in the community until okay. 2004. All right. Been here ever since,
0: and you have you served in the military for about five years. Five years. Yep. Yep. Thank for, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for your service. They yeah. paid me, so it's all good. It was a job. <laughs> that's right. No, that's <laughs> but cool. I appreciate I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but
1: I was compensated. So. Yeah, good. That's it's good. all good.
0: Um, tell us a little bit about uh the pastor part of yeah yeah. So uh, w- without going too far deep,
1: I was you know called to ministry at a very very young age, teenager. Joined the army, got married young, did some stuff, and in the army really knew I need to I need to follow that call God has on my life. So I started doing Bible college and all that. We got back from Iraq, um, got plugged into a a large denominational church here in town and uh, just started serving, volunteering, uh, got ministerial credentialed and licensed and all of that. And basically that church hired me a month before I got out of the army. I was getting medically discharged. And so about a month before I was going to get out, they gave me a full-time job uh, as an associate pastor. So Mm -hmm. I spent five years as an associate pastor at a large denominational church I left there to become the lead pastor of a church that had grown from about 150 people to 34 people, uh, <laughs> in about a year, they had some, you know, pastor leave and yep. all, all the horror stories. Yeah. So there's this group of about 30 people with no pastor. So I left a uh, big church staff life, uh, to basically relaunch a church. Uh, wow. so very much that church planter church revitalization, uh, did that for about six years. And then, uh, in 2016, that church we merged with the church that, I'm currently at now mm. uh, that the pastor of our, our lead pastor of this church, which is called onechurch.tv mm-hmm. the lead pastor and I've been friends forever. We'd co-hosted a radio show. We just knew each other as buddies in town. Mm. And every now and then we would preach together or we would swap. He'd preach for me on a Sunday. I'd preach for him. Cool. Um, and we did a, a sermon series. They were doing a sermon series called what would Jesus say to very topical. Uh, what would Jesus say to Donald Trump? What would Jesus mm. say about race and r- racism? This mm. is on the back end of Ferguson and all the, the, the the madness that was happening then. So, uh, of course, uh, as I usually am accustomed to, I get to be the guy to come talk on race and racism. Mm -hmm. I have brown skin for y'all listening who might not pick that up yet. (laughs) So, uh, I did that sermon series with him. Uh, we had a great time. So about a week later, uh, he said, Hey, let's, let's debrief. Let's evaluate. How do we think things went? What can we do better? Uh, our church had just at the time, And I'm going to mix the language of our church, their church, because we hadn't merged yet. Mm -hmm. So their church at the time had just moved from a high school that they were in for seven years back into a movie theater where they were started. Mm -hmm. One, they ran ran out of space. It was just a crazy situation. So anyway, the, the week I preached for them was the first week back in the theater. So he's like, I want some fresh eyes. Tell me what you saw. So we got to chatting. And then he said, you know, you mentioned something in the message that really struck a chord with me. Uh, I, in the message, this is 2016, August, I basically called out and said, it, it drives me crazy to see churches, uh, especially in metro areas like Atlanta, Dallas, where the only brown person on the staff is the facilities manager. Facilities mm-hmm. manager is code for the janitor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's terrible. And yeah. so I just said that kind of tongue in cheek as we were talking, but it wrecked him. like mm-hmm. kept him up at night. He's like, we got to do something. And so uh, he said, man, this could be crazy, but let's just do church together. Mm-hmm. Let's murder churches. We'll co-lead this thing together. We'll split preaching 50-50 down the middle. Wow, uh, And a, just a great example of not just saying, hey, come be our associate pastor, yeah. but no, you're going to be the teaching pastor and 50% of the communication this church has is going to be from you. Wow, uh, I don't think there's a better way to elevate influence and yep. voice uh, and that's all cool. that. So we did that in 2016. Uh, and that's where I'm at now, onechurch.tv. So I'm yeah. the teaching pastor here. Uh, it's been a really cool experience. Uh, I don't have any direct reports i don't have a budget my job literally is to contribute to the staff culture that's awesome. and to preach sermons and so as a it's kind of a pastor scholar that's yep. that's awesome i get yep. to read write think and then butt in everyone else's business and tell them <laughs> what they're doing now uh, i do that a little bit but yeah has
2: yeah, no, been cool so yeah
1: that's 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 how i got here
2: yeah
0: and and you uh briefly mentioned another aspect of your your life in ministry in that sort of scholarly realm with yeah. both your doctorate but also some connections that you have to different universities. Maybe just give us a quick For sure. summary so, of that. So uh,
1: back when I was pastoring the the church that we merged, so that church was called Grace Life Church, um, small church, so I had the luxury of time yeah. and I had the luxury of being the boss. And so yeah. I got, I finished my education. Um, it took me maybe five, six years, starts and finishes and false starts and all that stuff to get my bachelor's degree. Mm. Uh, and and once I did a mentor of mine just said, keep going. Don't Mm -hmm. stop while you have the time. As long as you've got your GI Bill money and you're not hurting your family, just keep going. And so from probably 2011 until 2016, I was a full-time student. Wow! I took the max load courses I could take every semester, didn't take one semester off. And I finished my, now I had almost two thirds of my bachelor's degree done, uh, just again, because of all the classes here, classes there that I'd done. But I I finished my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, and my PhD between 2011 and 2016. I defended my dissertation in December of 2016. And again, that was just the grace of God. I Mm -hmm. had the luxury. I was the boss. So I could say Tuesday is school day. And I'm not going to do anything from when I wake up until I go to sleep, until work on school. Yeah, that's great. So in that process, uh, thankfully, one of the networks that we are connected with A network of churches called Impact Churches Network, Mm -hmm. headquartered out of Manna Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Has a fully accredited Bible college called Grace College of Divinity, uh, designed to train Christian leaders to change the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was just hanging out at one of those events, and the president of that school and I were talking shop. I was about to finish my master's from Liberty. Uh, and I was frustrated because of the degree that I had It was one of those degrees that it looked good on paper. And then you get <laughs> it and you're like, this is worthless if I want to do something <laughs> with it. Like this helps me uh, in a very small way. Yeah, so yeah. I was kind of, you know, just moaning and complaining to him about it. And he graciously entertained me complaining. <laughs> uh, but he said, hey, here's what you should do. And he gave me this program. He said, I did this program at Regent University, PhD in organizational leadership. You can focus on global leadership, church leadership. There's all kinds of little specialties. But you doesn't matter what your master's is in, but you're going to leave with this kind of threefold subject expert. Mm. Uh, you'll be a researcher, a PhD. You can focus on church leadership. And it has a global leadership piece that mm. everyone is interested in. So you should do that. Mm. Um, so he, he solved my wow. problem. He said, do wow. it now. Apply to Regent. And while you're doing that, come work for us at Grace College of Divinity. Mm. So I had not even finished my master's degree, and they hired me to teach online because they were starting to ramp up their online efforts and uh, the rest is history. I went from being an adjunct uh, at Grace College of Divinity to now I'm the program director of our Masters of Arts in Christian Leadership program Mm. at Grace College of Divinity. So that's the only school where I would have uh, what you would call the rank of professor at Hopkinsville Community College just up the road. Uh, I also started teaching for them and have taught for them At least once a year, I I teach a class for them. Been doing that since 2014. Mm -hmm. And then once I finished my PhD, uh, my alma mater, Regent University, hired me as an adjunct to teach in the very program that I graduated from. And then there's another school, Carolina University, formerly Piedmont International, also in North Carolina, that in 2018, they uh, had a desperate need for dissertation chairs. Basically, Mm -hmm. we need people to supervise dissertation projects. I started doing that, and that morphed into "Hey, teach a couple classes, mm-hmm. come speak at a residency." Um, and so, right now, I'm uh, I teach for no less than four colleges and universities at a time. Wow! Uh, so, right now, I actively have courses going on at GCD, uh, Grace College of Divinity, Regent University, Piedmont International University, wow. and Hopkinsville Community
0: College. Wow! So basically, you don't sleep is what I'm hearing. I sleep well. <laughs> I sleep well no, because awesome. you know how it is. It's not work. It's, yeah, you enjoy
1: it's, it. It's a joy. It's, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, And uh, th- again, this is all pre pre COVID. So right. online learning, we're already doing it. Right. Zoom meetings, we're already doing it. It's yeah. nothing really has been disrupted. Yeah. Uh, in in the way that I present content to students or interact with yeah. students, and uh, now that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it doesn't get stressful. It doesn't mean I don't forget things like, oh, no, I forgot the grade <laughs> those papers. Let me, uh, that happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's, for me, there's just something about knowing uh, what you're called to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that word call, we use a little bit weirdly. I don't mean call as in a call to ministry. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm called to make a big deal about Jesus mm-hmm. everywhere that I go. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what I'm doing, if I do that, I'm fulfilling the call of God on my life. But then there's that specific Hey, you were built and wired to do this thing. That's right. Yeah. Um, and when I was 17 years old and, and standing in a field at Southeastern University, uh, now it's a dorm, that field that I was standing in, mm-hmm. just doing a prayer walk at 17 and knew God told me, yeah, you're going to study the Bible and teach people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, very simple call of God on my life. To study and to teach. It's cool. So uh, to look all these years later and say, yeah, that's actually, that's. That's how I support my family, yeah. studying and teaching. It's pretty yeah. cool.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So now touch on that as well, even more importantly than the ministry and the educational. Tell us a little bit about your family.
1: Yeah, my wife, Jamie, and I, this September, we celebrate 22 years awesome, of marriage. Man. We got married young, wisely so. Parents, if you're listening and you don't want your 18-year-old to get married, don't send them to talk to me because I'm <laughs> a bad influence. Uh, I have to say, too, backing up to the education thing, another thing I'm a bad influence in is I'm a high school dropout. I quit high oh, wow. school because it was boring. Huh. Like, I was in a, I was in a punk rock band playing drums. So that's more interesting than going to school. So I would just blow off school and
2: whatever. And, wow.
1: and I, I'd miss like a month of school at a time. And my mom finally said, what are you doing with your life? She made me go take the GED test. Like she forced me to do it. Good for her. Uh, I that's didn't cool. want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so the potential that I had, I knew uh, that I like to learn, but just the system yep. of, of, you know, how it is being yep. in school. I just, I loathed it. So I was a terrible student. Uh, hated it. Uh, huh. so parents don't send your kid to me for educational <laughs> they're advice gonna, they're gonna get
0: married young and drop out they're gonna of get married and, young and drop out and <laughs> say well, look PhDs. at him yeah so, <laughs> That's no, no, no. Right.
1: this is very much the grace of god and the That's exception cool. uh so my wife jamie and i we've married 22 years we have an older son our oldest son uh tony he's starting his senior year at austin p this year he's a music performance cool. major uh pray for him he's in the world of I've, I've dedicated my life to music performance and now we don't know what that's going to look right. like for the next year, two years. Yeah, so yeah, for uh, sure. poor guy, he turns 21 this September. So okay. he's, he's having some of that quarter life crisis a couple of yep. years early. Yep. Like what am I going <laughs> to do?
2: Yeah. Uh, wow.
1: And then our youngest son, David, he starts his sophomore year in high school. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's us. That's, that's our family. That's awesome, man.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So I'm, I, uh, already some of the things that you've mentioned, um, you know, maybe one of the main ones, global leadership. Um, Excited to touch on that a little bit today in, in some of the context in which we're talking and um, already feel like there's plenty of opportunity if our podcast producers allow it for more opportunities to, to have you on the podcast yeah. and chat about other things as well. As I was reflecting a little bit on some of the conversations that are some of the times that you and me and one of our un- Uncharted staff, Jeff Bunting, have hung out one of the things that I appreciate about our conversations is you, you are already in, and you have been in the world of, I'll just say like global kingdom work. I'll use that sort of general title, um, whether that is specifically in the context of missions or, um, or in educational contexts that are happening in a global, in a global culture. Um, So on a lighter note, like, Tell us a little bit, what are some of the places you've been around the world? What are some of the places where you've experienced, you know, other cultures, the international uh experiences in general? And what are some of the things that maybe you've done in that context? That's a
1: great question. Uh part of it starts in the United States. So I'm half Puerto Rican, half black. I grew up in Tampa, Florida. If you know anything about uh Florida east of Tallahassee and south of Ocala then you know that it's a different world. Mm. It is not. Uh, and many times it's, it's part of the United States, but it is such a true hodgepodge, mm-hmm. melting pot, whatever term you want to use, yep. a various uh, Afro-Caribbean culture. Uh, New- Florida was where people went forever to leave the North to come down. Mm-hmm. And so um, I grew up surrounded with a global perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard Spanish uh, just as much as I did English growing up. And so I was never, I, I don't, rem- there was never a moment in my life where I didn't know there are these far off places in these islands where other people come from. And many of them have come here. That's truly my ancestry uh, mm. that that I can trace back to. Uh, that's cool. So that's just starting from where I'm at. I've always had that, that uh, worldview, different sounds, music, flavors, languages, uh, really just a blessing to be able to grow up in that kind of environment. Right. But as far as where I've traveled, I've been... Canada multiple times. I love the first time I went to Canada was believe it or not on a football team, uh, <laughs> played for a local police athletic league football team <laughs> and we won the city tournament and our coach uh, he, I won't say his name cause I'm still friends with him. I don't want to blast him, but he, he had a little bit of the ego and uh-huh. he wanted to, so he would just trot us around. The season ended in, in October and we were still playing games in November and in December. <laughs> he would just trot us all over to all these different leagues and different towns can you beat my guys? And so basically uh, the Detroit police athletic league challenged us. And so the city of Tampa sponsored our little football team to take a bus all the way from Tampa, Florida (laughs) to Detroit. This was right before my freshman year of high school. Okay. Uh, so we go, we play the game. We won 12 to nothing. Never (laughs) forget it. Um, And you know, if you've if you know Detroit, you're right there. The the Detroit River Windsor's right there. So the coaches had the great idea. Let's go have breakfast in Canada with the kids. (laughs) When are they ever gonna go to Canada? Uh, and this is all obviously way pre 911. So we get into Canada, have our breakfast. And then when we got back, they realized oh no, we have no proof of citizenship for (gasps) any kid on this bus. They're teenagers. (laughs) We don't have waivers from their parents. We took these are these are all the coaches are police officers. Oh, so this is Tampa Police Department law law enforcement (laughs) officials who took a bunch of kids into out of the country without mom and dad's permission and are trying to bring them back into the states. And it was (laughs) it was about two hours at the border Uh, trying to. That's a good story. I I, I, I don't want to accuse anyone of bribery, but I'm sure some (laughs) some some uh yeah. Some favors had to happen for them to get us (laughs) back in. So that was my first time out of country. I want to join the army. Obviously that exponentially grew up. I I got to go to Mexico because of the army, been to Italy, uh, in the Milan region. Mm -hmm. I've been to Sicily, been to the Azores off the coast Mm -hmm. of Portugal, just the most beautiful water, beautiful, uh, scenery that you can see. Uh, I, I wish I could claim having actually stepped foot in Cyprus. I have been to Cyprus physically, uh, but couldn't get off the plane. Uh, but been to Cyprus, uh, lived in Iraq for a year. That's mm. probably one of the most, uh, international experiences I'm the most proud of mm. because I actually had an address there. I think once you get mail cool. somewhere, right. you could say you lived there. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, I'll throw people off sometimes just in conversation and say that I lived in Northern Iraq for a year. <laughs> I don't say I was deployed in, in the yeah. army and all that. Uh, yeah, lived in Iraq, been to Kuwait, um, been to the United Arab Emirates, mm. uh, been to Germany. Uh, of course, uh, thanks to going to Myanmar, I got to add, yep. uh, of course, beautiful Myanmar yep. and Hong Kong to that list of <laughs> places. I should be right now teaching a Bible class in Nepal.
0: Yeah, I remember you talking yeah, about I that. Should. I should yep.
1: a Plane ticket was purchased. Right. I, right. I should, as of yep. <laughs> this week, I should be in Kathmandu teaching uh, for Grace School of Theology. But, of course, right. the world
0: turned upside down. And so, yeah. Uh, and we were scheduled to do a trip this fall to Myanmar in as October. Well yeah, we're supposed to. You know, who knows what's going to yeah. happen with that? Yeah. Uh, I still have it on
1: the schedule. It, <laughs> it, we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, interesting time. So yeah, yeah I've, I've traveled. It's cool.
0: Traveled a lot. Yep. Well, I think it's one of the reasons. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why I do appreciate this conversation. And just to like full disclosure, I mean, we've, we as Uncharted have really been trying to think through. So we're a missions organization. We're, we're focused on people who are in other parts of the world, specifically parts that are very much overlooked and forgotten in terms of meaningful, sustainable, sustainable presence, gospel presence. Uh, so we're all, you know, we're all about Jesus. We're all about um, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, getting to people who have not heard it yet. And at the same time, um, because of those things, because we are so gospel focused and Jesus focused. We want to, in the right ways, pay attention to matters that are happening in our own backyard, in our own country, matters that, that matter to God, to the heart of God. And, and so for us, for the last, I would say, month and a half, we've, we've really wrestled with how do we engage in the conversation? Uh, how do we engage in the learning of what's taking place in our country around, around the issue of race? And we've sort of been stumbling our way along, um, learning and, and discovering ways that we can do that. And even this conversation is is one of the ways that we're trying to discover, like how do we steward well what it is that God wants us to to steward when it comes to issues of justice and issues that He cares very deeply about. And and again, to be honest, like even this conversation, I was I was saying to uh, my wife this. Today, like I, I really hope this doesn't come across as just sort of our token podcast, you know, addition to to having a person of color on our podcast. And and one of the things that I really am thankful for about you specifically as a voice who's helping uh, helping us learn and, and frame this conversation for us is that you do have not only global experience but you have a passion for it and. And so it's not a leap uh, for you to see why this issue is so important, not just as believers, but as an organization that is focused on other cultures and other races. And then, and then to add to that, you know, I, I did have the opportunity to read one of the books that you wrote, Biblical Principles for Resilience and Leadership, and found myself resonating with your your educational background, but also your experience in leadership. So. I do hope that this isn't just sort of a, a token, you know, our little attempt to add something that we feel like we should add. Um, But actually you really do bring a cool perspective to this conversation. Um, Not only because of your personal background, but because of the experiences, the education that you have, and also the, the the global perspective that you have for God's kingdom. Um, So I, I guess maybe I just want to say that, also admit that, you know, that we're, we're trying to figure out what this looks like for us. So thank you for helping us in that way and engaging in this way. And uh, thank you also um, just for the unique, different types of perspective that you bring to this conversation. Yeah.
1: I appreciate the invite and, and to kind of ease your mind, I say no to those other invitations. I Mm -hmm. say no to the, you have never called me ever. And now you want my advice and you've never talked to me ever. I think I posted something about that on social, that part of being anti-racist is realizing that black people can be experts in more than just race. And, uh, I, I kind of made a fool of myself much like Paul did in the end of second Corinthians and said, Hey, here's, here's everything I've done. I've published two books. I'm the assistant editor of the journal of biblical perspectives and leadership. I have a dozen peer reviewed scholarly credits on my CV. I've been in full-time vocational ministry for 15 years. I'm a combat vet. I've started a nonprofit that I led for five years. I could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And not one of those things has anything to do with race. None of them have to do with with African-American history or anything like that. And so um, it's quite hurtful to be called to the table as the expert whenever that's the issue. Um, And so again, I'll say, I, I would not have said yes to this conversation mm. had that been the case. We've been in conversation and yep. doing life and trying to figure out how, what, what ministry and missions is going to look yeah. like. So I consider uncharted friends and people I definitely want to continue to partner with. Mm. Uh, and for anyone else listening who I've come and talked to you, obviously, if I said yes to your invite, <laughs> uh, yeah. you can relax too. <laughs> don't, don't, don't feel the pressure of, Oh no, is he talking about me? No, I'm right. not trying to be passive aggressive in that, but yeah. it's just the reality Yeah. of a, uh, I heard Albert Tate say this just in a podcast I was listening to today. It's fresh in my mind, so I may be quoting a lot of what I heard in that yeah. uh, just in my normal rhythm. But uh, as a as a black person, and, and again, I'm half Puerto Rican, half black, as a person of color in the United States in ministry, to attain a PhD in organizational leadership, mm-hmm. uh, to attain a master's degree in pastoral counseling, mm-hmm. to attain a, a bachelor's degree in psychology, I had to learn mm-hmm about white culture and white thinkers Mm. and white philosophers Mm. and white theologians for my white friends, you could attain those same things that I had and never have to learn about anyone other than Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King. And that was just once a month for fun. Mm. It wasn't even required reading. Mm. And so to then put the burden of education of all things, black Mm. experience on your black friends Mm. is, uh, just very harmful. Mm. It's very I'm just going to say it's very selfish Mm. and you may be well-intended because you want to learn. And I, man, I hear you. That's awesome. I'm glad you want to learn, but just consider the work that your friends took to exist in in other spaces and then be willing to do some of that work too. So uh, anytime someone, Hey, give me a list of books. I got you. I'll send you a link. Anytime. What's a good resource. What's a good podcast. Who should I be listening to? How can I learn? I'll hook you up. Cause I said yes to be a teacher. And so I'm committed to that. I, I told Jesus I'd be a teacher, so I can't not teach someone who genuinely wants to learn. But uh, as a professor, I'll put that hat on quickly and say I'm not going to do the work for you. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah,
0: read and cite your own sources. I'm yeah. not going to do the work for you, but yeah, I'll, I'll point good. you
1: in the right direction. So,
0: so let's make sure uh, if we haven't by the end to to grab some of those and uh, cite those in our podcast notes and make those available. Sure. Um And and I that's a that's a very convicting, but I, but much appreciated sentiment. And so thank you for saying that. And, um, you know, even just for my own personal self, this has been a, a very, uh, challenging, but, but so healthy of an experience. Just how do I walk through this in, in humility and, um, and receiving, receiving those sentiments, receiving those realities, learning from, from, Truths and statements like that has been uh, a very, a very good experience for for me yeah. as a white male. Yeah. Um, so, uh, even in this conversation right now, for the next however many minutes it is, um, please feel total freedom to to share things like that because those are the sorts of things that I want to hear as an individual, sure. and those are the sorts of things that even we as an organization need to hear. So that's um, that's really helpful. And maybe to start, I, I am curious just again, to acknowledge like you, you do have a lot of unique experiences. So you've done missions. Uh, you were supposed to be in Nepal right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, maybe briefly, like what are one or two, we'll start on a positive note. Yeah. What are one or two things that you've experienced in, gl- in the global mission world that's made a positive impact either just on you as a human being um, or more specifically on your faith?
1: Yeah. I think uh, the most recent experience, obviously being being Myanmar, one of my biggest ahas was just how wealthy we in America actually are when it comes to material, mm. but how devastatingly poor we are in what really matters. Mm. Uh, in, in, in Myanmar, uh, and I would have probably argue in, in much of South Asia and Southeast Asia, because of their uh, collectivist worldview, where the we comes before me, and where family comes before I, um, they are so rich in the things that Jesus says really matters. Things like love and community and fellowship and, and all of the one another's. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what the physical circumstance is, we don't have any money. We don't have water this week. No matter what those things are, the one thing I never noticed in the most impoverished areas we were in, down to the luxury of downtown, mm-hmm. Yangon. I did not notice the angst, the Mm -hmm. sadness, the weightiness, the depression, the striving, any of that. I didn't acknowledge any of that. I just Mm -hmm. felt this, just this peace. Like, man, they're so content. Like life is life. It is what it is. And we're going to smile. So I just really valued Mm -hmm. seeing that, that other, other side of the culture. Not to say that obviously they don't have those issues as well. Of course they do. We're human beings. We're we're always going to struggle with that. So Positively, I think that's the, the biggest boost that I got mm-hmm. to my faith was just that gentle reminder of here's what really, really matters. Uh, the, 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 the physical means and the needs and those mm-hmm. things matter, but here's the most important yeah. things. And uh, you actually can live a vibrant, thriving life yeah. with this love of God, with this love for other. Yeah. Go figure the Bible is true. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. No, I,
0: I I totally agree. I mean, I've, I've always said that those trips, no matter how many times you've done them, no matter how many countries you've been to, they are such, um, you know, it's a silly word picture, but just a a splash of cold water on your face, um, in terms of life in general, but even more so just in faith in terms of how it awakens your perspective and and sort of resharpens your focus and what is truly important and um so it's cool to hear that 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 was a taste of your experience as well
1: and and don't get me wrong i came home and said thank you lord for this toilet that flushes and this air condition and this water that i can shower in without worrying about it getting into my cuts and this breakfast that is not pancakes. And I think <laughs> some type of sausage material, right. like believe me, yeah. I I, I it was loved, either
0: that or rice and yeah, chicken yet again. I, I and,
1: loved, yeah. I don't think I ate rice for two weeks. Like I loved every bit of, uh, uh-huh. I, I, I didn't go in there. I, I didn't go in there with that kind of perspective. So I didn't come out thinking, well, yeah. I've got to sell everything I own now. Right. Cause I, 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 I would hope I'm a little more mature in, in faith and life and experience to 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 be protected for that. And I'll just shout out on charter. You all did a phenomenal job. I was, I was part of the beta testing class of training. So we got to live it as the, as the plane was being flown, it was being built in the air. So I got to experience that training process and you, it was just a phenomenal, well done job. Mm. Um, I can say for everyone who went on that trip and that was their first trip, Mm. you accomplished the mission of, Hey, here's what we're really coming to do. Here's what this Mm. is really about. Um, and being one of those people just to be prepared for, mm. before you even leave, to already be prepared for what you're going to deal with when you get back. That was just a game changer. And 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 Jeff and Shelby did a great job keeping us on that target every day. Cool. day. Um, I'll throw Jeff under the bus and say, we may have forgotten some devotion questions in the morning had it not been for <laughs> Shelby. Hey, pray. I cannot believe it. Be praying. Don't forget. Well, he sat with me. Jeff sat with me. So we were just talking about <laughs> the things we wanted to talk that's about. Right. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, there's, yeah there's
0: other people. There's all these other people. About. we have. To, <laughs> so, uh, have to no, have. that's cool. Thanks for, thanks for saying yeah, that. It was great. How about on the, and actually we'll come back to that in a second, but I am curious, like on the flip side, either through your own experience or just sort of the reputation of global missions, what are maybe one or two negative experiences that you've had or one or two negativities of the whole concept of yeah. global missions that so, you
1: have been aware of. So I'll speak first and you know, at the micro level to the trip that I was on as a seeing it through the eyes of a pastor and a leader who only went on the trip with more trips in mind. Yep. I never would have gone had someone from our church not said, what are we doing about global missions? And yep. I said, you're right. Nothing. Let's go. Yep. So I went with that perspective. Like, this is not my last time here. I'm coming mm-hmm. because I'm going to bring people. Uh, And probably the most negative thing was church folks are going to be church folks, and that's annoying.
0: (laughs) It's just annoying, even in Southeast Asia, even in
1: Southeast Asia, they're still going to be the churchiest of churchy people. (laughs) Uh, where it's kind of inward focused and it's comfort focused and it's my preference focused. And uh, believe it or not, I saw that not just from people on our team, but from people in Myanmar, like Mm. people who are there doing it. Yeah, it's like, yo, I can smell him. There he is. That's the church person, that's the one that's probably Mm. holding back progress. And causing problems mm-hmm. because of inward focus, mm-hmm. and it's all it takes is just that little bit of glimpse off of the main mission. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't have been surprised by that with my years in ministry, but that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the micro yep. uh, issue of the trip. And again, we're, there's humans involved, yep. so there's going to be that. Yep. From a bigger scale, I think the the current the, the big issue with global mission has been up until now. Obviously, we can't travel now, so right. we're all trying to figure out what is it. I just signed on to be on the board of directors of a nonprofit that does some work in, in Uganda. Huh. And, uh, I asked them the question, uh, Hey, what are, what's it going to look like? And it yeah. was, we hadn't thought about that. So it's going to be a cool year yeah. thinking through does the yeah. future look like? Obviously the, the biggest issue we have as Americans, anytime we show up is we, we one show up with our perspective as being the dominant. Mm-hmm and our perspective as being the best. Mm -hmm. But worse than that is our inability to understand that that even exists. I Mm -hmm. think the great, the great deception that the enemy has for us is to one, get us to think that evil doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. that there is not really any evil. And then number two, to get us to not believe that the problems are really the problems. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is for us to think that the American way of christianity is the normal way of christianity right. if the yeah. enemy of our souls can get us to buy into that yeah. then we'll never acknowledge it as a problem and we'll never fix it mm. and we'll never truly see our effectiveness mm. as as ambassadors uh, for Jesus so mm. my missiology is very simple Jesus saves we steward it's good period yeah Jesus saves and we steward yep. Jesus saves all we are is ambassadors we are managers of the message he's given us. That's what an ambassador is. Yep. So we manage the message he's given us and we represent him to the best of our ability, mm. but he does the saving. Mm. And so any type of mission work, whether it's in the inner cities of America or mm. it's overseas that drifts into saving, mm. we've lost it. Mm. We're going to make the, the problem worse. Yep. That yep. makes
2: sense.
0: That is a great segue into, uh, you even use the word, um, when we drift into this, role taking on this role of we save so there's some things you know I've been part of global mission work for for several many years now and the longer I'm part of it there's definitely things that I'm very proud of to to be to be part of God's global kingdom um, there's things that are really exciting there's things that i I find myself believing even deeper you know as as years progress um, primarily that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and yeah. and longing to see people come alive to that reality, longing to see people um realize just how beautiful and how wonderful it is to be in relationship with him. So there's things that i'm really I'm really proud of in terms of I get to even in a small way be part of this global movement of God's kingdom and reaching people who have yet to hear about the good news of jesus um I you know one of the things that I love too, specifically with Uncharted is is seeing how our frontline team, so people who are, we, we typically, primarily, I should say, work with nationals or indigenous to their country. And I love seeing how the issue of of nationality, of ethnicity, of race is one that they are overcoming in in their own countries. That they, you know, in Myanmar, for example, there's Major, major ethnic yeah. issues there right now. I mean, the word "issue" is a is an <laughs> understatement. understatement. <Yeah. laughs> um, and so, I'm really proud of of the men and women that are connected to Uncharted in Myanmar who are laying aside what probably others in their country aren't laying aside, and literally being the hands and feet of Jesus to to people that culturally they shouldn't. Yeah. If that makes sense. Same thing in Central Asia. Like, I'm super proud of the work that that we have a small role in playing, uh, we have the opportunity to support actually the the nationals who are doing it. We're not doing it. We just yeah. get to support them. And and they're ministering to and showing the love of God to a an ethnic group, a cultural group that, again, according to their cultural standards, they shouldn't even be paying attention to. And so in a lot of ways, there's aspects of this global mission work that I'm, I'm really proud to say, even in small ways, we get to be part of it. You know, then on the flip side of that, there's other things when it comes to global missions that I'm, I'm pretty ashamed of. Um, either ashamed of in the sense that it has that reputation, you know, whether, whether you can identify me as part of that or not, it does have that reputation. And then honestly, and we've talked about this on, on past podcasts, like I look back on some of the ways that, I participated in short-term missions trips and, you know, sort of the joke is like being the 15 year old high schooler who knows nothing about building a building and going down to, you know, some South American country and taking away that job. Anyway. So, so there's things that even on a personal level, I look back, I'm like, ah, I wish I hadn't done it that way. So I think you have to in the world of missions acknowledge there are some really damaging ways (laughs) of going about engaging in global mission and, and the one that you just hit on that I think is really important for us to, to recognize, and, and I'd love to get some of your input on it is, is this idea of, of white saviorism. And, you know, that's a term that really got coined through, um, the whole Coney 212 thing, yeah. uh, coming out of, of Africa and invisible children. But my suspicion is before that term was coined, it was something that was still very much prevalent um, in in the realm of global missions, and so we do have a working definition just for our uh, audience when we talk about this idea of of white saviorism. It's generally defined as a white person who provides help to non-white people in a self-serving manner. So I guess just to begin that part of the conversation, are there ways that um, you have seen that in in global missions in general? One of the things I like about that definition though, is it doesn't, it doesn't designate that it's just in the context of global mission. Um, you know, it's this idea of creating an emotional experience, uh, that helps me feel better about myself is really the impetus behind it. And so I would imagine that there are even ways in which locally, um, nationally, you know, that that's something. So I'm just curious more to get more of your thoughts specifically on that aspect, one of those negative realities of global missions. Yeah, that's a
1: big, big question. Yep. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it in a roundabout way. That's right. what I like to do. <laughs> you're familiar, obviously, you're familiar with various personality types, disk assessment, Myers-Briggs, For sure. Enneagram, of course, everyone's an expert in right that's now, right? right? Yeah. Um, what is the best personality type? Which one is the right one? So it's a trick question, right? Yeah. There is no right one. Right. One thing I love about, uh, in, in Cron's understanding of Enneagram is he says, these are just nine normals. That's the trick. That's the secret sauce to yeah. understanding personality type is these are just nine normals. Everyone yeah. is just as normal as the others. So why I'm starting there is I think it'll help give a little bit of practical application mm-hmm. when it comes to this idea of whiteness. Uh, when we think about whiteness, if you attach Your whole being to it Mm. or blackness, your whole being to it, you're going to be lost because when you do that, you elevate it Mm. to a place that it has no business being in. It becomes very inward, very self focused. Mm. And by and large, especially in Western history, we could global history is another thing, but Mm. definitely in you want to talk about colonialism and all of that, that's a different, you know, Mm. we could do four podcasts just on that. (laughs) Uh, The blessing and the curse of colonialism, right? Uh, so whiteness is a real thing. And all it is for, for everyone listening, who's not a person of color, it is your worldview. It mm-hmm. is your context. There is such a thing as white culture. Yep. And for centuries, it's the, been the predominant culture in America. Heard a, a a black pastor say this when he was in Bible college, he took systematic theology and then he took an elective called African-American theology. Mm. So just in the way that was structured, right. systematic theology, which is white, that's normal. African-American theology, that's some other thing. Right. Outside I think of- like a special class. What, for exactly. Yeah. Outside of what we've established as normal. Yep. And so the, the predominant white worldview of doing church and doing life in Christ uh, has, has always set itself as being above mm. everyone else's way of doing. Mm. Our way of doing it is right. And we're gonna help you mm. do it our way. Now we've made long strides uh, and, and Uncharted's made some l- great strides in leading the way in that, I think, of hey, actually, we're not going there to do anything. We're going there to be with yeah. them. We're going yeah. there to partner with them. Yeah. But the people who are going on those trips are still living with the my way of doing things mm. and the way I see things. Um, and that comes back to what I said earlier. When you aren't willing to identify a problem, then you'll never address it. You'll never ask God to help you with it. You'll never try to shift your thinking if you don't even believe that that problem exists. Yeah. And so uh, the challenge uh, of global mission has to be that we are all citizens of the world mm-hmm. and that the, the American way of doing things is just a way of doing things. And it's just one pocket in which the God of heaven and earth is working and moving. Mm. And it's not better than anyone else. The same Jesus saving people in the United States is saving people in small house churches in China. Mm. He's saving people in Northern Iraq and, and their way of processing the gospel is going to come through their culture, just like ours does. And so I think that's a huge thing that has to, we have to understand that we see it. I think Leslie Newbigin said that the, the, Every presentation of the gospel since the first one Paul wrote came through the filter of a culture. Mm-hmm. Paul wrote from a perspective of a former rabbi turned radical who happened to be a citizen of Rome. Mm. And he was speaking into a Roman called a Greco Roman culture. And this is the, 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 the backdrop that he yeah. paints. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for his yeah. salvation. He's using language intentionally because he's trying to, meet them where they're at yep. culturally. That was yep. so much a big part of his mission and his understanding. And so even the people who say, I just want to keep it about the gospel, keep it about the gospel is like, but you're still not getting it. Mm-hmm. There's still culture. The gospel's still presented in cultures and into people. And you have to understand those things and, and how they're going to shape mm-hmm. how people receive that gospel. They're going to shape how people process it mm-hmm. uh, and they, and they should shape how we present it and how we deliver it. So mm-hmm. uh, kind of the great, awakening we're seeing here in america to one degree there's a negativity i would love to talk about if we get the chance but the positive thing of that great awakening is finally the moderate white evangelical who has in secret rooms told me mm-hmm. hey, i'm sorry that's happening to you mm-hmm. now they're being a loud voice about mm-hmm. it um and i think it's because it took the death of one man mm-hmm. man how biblical is that right. it took the death of not I know you're going to write emails. No, I'm not calling George Floyd Jesus. Calm down. I know what you're saying. That's not what you're I'm good. saying. But it you're took good. the death of one man yeah. Yeah. to get the world to say, oh, this, this really is a problem. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, And so the way we move beyond tokenism, the way we move beyond just these one-off things is to not treat uh, culture yeah. or sinfulness as problems to solve. Mm. Jesus saves. We steward. mm mm-hmm. And until he returns, nothing is ever going to be completely solved, mm. but we have to steward and manage and live out his message mm. in the middle of those things. And so we have to acknowledge that they exist, that the problem is a real problem and there are actually practical things I can do to address it and to take a step closer to the way of Jesus. Yeah. Of course, there's the spiritual battle we should all be engaged in. That's yeah. really going to make the difference. Yeah. But while I'm doing that, I can also be engaged in some practical things. And so, uh, bring it full circle back. It starts with acknowledging, yeah, whiteness is a thing yep. and it's okay. Mm. I have a culture. I have a, yep. I have a worldview. I see the world differently. My experiences with, with law enforcement, my experiences with, with just living life as a, a person of color is different.
0: Yep. Um, and that's okay. We, we can't hide behind it. Mm. That makes sense. It totally does. And, and, um, I guess some follow-up questions. Sure. These were unplanned. So I'll pause in case we need to edit anything out. <laughs> so as you are talking, I had, this is a, again, sort of a, a silly word picture, but I thought of the, the matrix movie, you know, where Neo realizes he's been asleep yeah. to the reality of things this whole time and and sort of comes awakened to it, becomes awakened to it. And you even use that word sort of this awakening. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I imagine as myself, as a, middle-class white man in America that I'm experiencing this awakening, you know, for Neo in the matrix, all it took was a little pill. Right. Sure. Um, so in the context of, of global missions, and when we're talking about this uh, this reality, this dangerous reality of white saviorism, can you, can you help identify like what are one or two things that would help me um, identify ways that I, that I might not even be seeing how my whiteness and how my culture is impacting the way that I'm living out global missions. What are some of the things that will, would help me wake up to that? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I'll, I'll quote Lin-Manuel Miranda since Hamilton is all the buzz, right? (laughs) That's right. Disney plus. The best thing to do is to talk less and to smile more, Hmm. to talk less and to smile more. If you're uncomfortable with a Broadway musical, then let me quote the brother of Jesus who said, be quick to listen yeah. and slow to speak. Yeah. I think practically that's the game changer mm. to quote Jesus, to be poor in spirit, to realize I bring nothing to the table. I don't know anything about anything. Yeah. That's when you're blessed. Yeah. When you come to every conversation, every interaction, uh, and this is a struggle for me for sure. So I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Every interaction with another human being, I should be poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. I should come to that interaction empty. Mm-hmm. I bring nothing to the table. I'm here to learn. I'm here to love. Mm-hmm. I'm here to offer myself to you. How can I serve you? And to take what you have to, to give to me. Mm-hmm. And I think white saviorism, as, as it's kind of defined, doesn't do that. It mm-hmm. shows up to the table. I'll let you say what you have to say in a minute. But first, here's what I have to say. Right. Here's the good news. Let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, Let me tell you what you need. Yeah. Let me fix your problems that you have.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, how can I help you? And how can I help you is not, how can I do life with you? Right. It's, it's not, how can, I, how can we dismantle this system? Uh, thinking of a, of a place like Myanmar, right? How can we participate with you in dismantling the systems mm-hmm. that have put you in this position to begin with? Mm. I know you need water and you need electricity mm-hmm. and you need safety and all of that stuff, but deeper than that, yep. what's the real issue? Yep. Uh, you know, in a country like Myanmar, of course, we know that, the, that that from the national leadership, right? Buddhism is synonymous with what it means to be Myanmar right. people. Right. And so spiritually we know, okay, that's actually how we help them. <laughs> that's really where we help. <laughs> right. Because if we can't help fix yeah. that way of thinking yeah. and when you talk to uh when you talk to the church planners, that's the one thing I love is every church planner I talk to, that's actually what we talked about. Mm-hmm. I spent more time talking either about Buddhism or the military, because I was mm-hmm. a veteran, than we ever did about the felt needs yep. of the country. Yep. Even in asking, hey, what do your neighbors need? They, the the church planner on the ground, always brought the conversation back to Here's my problem. Mm-hmm. Here's what the real issue the core is. core issue, right. Here's what the core issue is. So, But white saviorism historically hasn't done that. It's come in and said, let me show you the Jesus film. Great film, by the way. We show you the Jesus film. Mm -hmm. Let me give you these tracks. Let's do this program. Do it this way. Mm -hmm. And if we can get you to do church, even a little bit the way we think about doing it, man, we're going to feel good. Mm And We reached 500 people for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And on and on and on the cycle goes. Mm -hmm. And so I think listening, being open, being poor in spirit, being humble, knowing we don't really— bring a whole lot to the table. Mm. I can say for the issue we're talking about, cause we're kind of blending them too, right? Yeah. Talking about race. Uh, I'm not a problem for you to solve. Yeah, My experiences aren't a problem for you to solve. Mm. You can't fix it. Mm. I mean, that's just not one. That's terribly insulting to think that you're the person who's just going to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get a lot of advice nowadays from people who tell me I'm leading people away from Jesus and I just need to preach the gospel and stop talking about race. And, you know, I get, all these experts now want to mm. give me advice, you know, on on, mm. on how to help people. So that's that's always being sarcastic, of course. Yeah. It's always yeah. frustrating. Um huh. listening, 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 listening. Huh. That's that's the best way to start, I think. Do yeah. doing life with people. In in Western, Western worldview, we say that a lot. That's that was the cool thing 20 years ago mm-hmm. when we decided we don't like Sunday school anymore. Let's 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 turn Sunday school into a different venue and call it a small group. Mm same exact thing you just change the day of the week mm. it's still lecture based you know it's i've i've not encountered a lot of authentic life on life mm. biblical community yeah that might be offensive to some of the people even that i go to church with but i'm just keeping it all the way real for sure i lead a small group in a church that is still very much people who are gathered around to hear me teach right so yep. i i view it as okay this is a mentoring group this yep. is a discipleship group because we're really not doing life on life to that degree so yep.
0: Okay. There's a lot, a lot of good in there. Um, one really specific sort of granular question I have, and I, I've, I would love your advice on this, um, or at least just what you think anecdotally the experience is like. So, uh, I really appreciate how you were, you spoke earlier so highly of the uncharted training that, uh, Jeff and Shelby took you through. That's really encouraging to hear by the way. So thank you. Um, but I've, so I, when I've facilitated that training or training like that in the past, we do try to be really thoughtful about what are some of the dangers that make global missions just a horrible thing. (laughs) What are some of the things that, you know, completely disqualify our voice or, or overshadow the, the goodness and the richness of the gospel and, and white saviorism is one of those things. It's not the only thing, but it is one of those things. And so we do try to talk about that and we, t- we try to make that a reality and, and put that on people's radars as best yeah. as we can. I've been curious though, uh, and this is where it gets a little bit granular and more just my own experience. I've been curious as we've done those trainings in the past or as I've done those trainings in the past. And in the team that I'm training are people of color who are coming from the West, who are coming from, in our case, the States yeah. to, you know, to these typically developing cultures and, and countries what is that like to have that training? Like, is that, is that something where you feel like you're listening to that happening? You feel like you're part of that type of training. Is that appropriate in that context? I guess I've always wondered like, have, am I offending? um, When I'm talking about white saviorism, is that offensive? And so maybe this is more just a personal question that I've, Wrestled with and yeah, I not know. had the opportunity That's to That's a ask. good
1: question. I don't think it's offensive to people of color because okay. people of color don't suffer from white fragility.
0: Right. Like,
1: I'm not trying to be callous, but no, like, yeah, we, don't, we don't suffer from that. Absolutely. I would say there's always the, what I, I can just speak from my experience. Uh, I was the only person of color in the room. Yep. And I'm coming at it from an educated, trained, experienced vocational ministry perspective. So I'm going to be less likely to be offended because I understand what you're saying. Right. I understand why we're teaching this. Right. But yes, there's always in me the gut level reaction of this sure would be nice to apply here in Evansville. Yeah. This sure would be nice to apply in Clarksville. Yeah. This sure would be that Vikings video, it actually applies to downtown Nashville too. Yeah. Yeah. It applies to Survey, which the association of related churches will be doing at the time we're recording this, that'll be this weekend. So all over the country, people are going to go into their neighborhoods with their red shirts and they're going to do this work in the name of Jesus. And that's a great program that they're doing. But, uh, that Viking fun video we show in the training, (laughs) it applies there too. Yeah. Uh, so that's something, yeah. Uh, I think to consider, I know over there being on the trip as a person of color, I had no anxiety or tension like I would in the United States. In the United mm. States, when I'm out of my area, I play Count the Brown people. Mm. To feel comfortable. That's a real thing. Mm. Like, I'm not going to stop at that gas station. I'm not mm. going to. That just shows my racism. That shows my mm. cultural bias. That shows that I lead with the assumption that there's no brown people around. Everyone here hates black people. Mm. Uh, now, I didn't just come up with that on myself. I've got some empirical evidence and history and data For sure. to yep. justify yep. that fear. But I, but I still have to acknowledge, hey, that's my own bias, too. Yep. But in Myanmar, no, I know. I'm in a global country. There are people from every tribe, tongue, mm. nation hanging out around here. Yangon is an international city. As restricted as that country has been, mm. uh, it still is a very international city. Mm. Uh, people are there. People are vacationing in Myanmar now because it's closer than coming anywhere else. Right. It's, uh, I heard one person we talked to in the airport. They were like, this is cheaper than Bali. Yeah. I'd rather catch a flight to Myanmar yeah. you know, and, yeah. and enjoy the sights. So it was in the American context where I was still very much aware uh. that, hey, I'm a person of color Yeah. And I don't know if that's because of the way that I am and speak, it makes people comfortable, but, uh, I definitely dealt Mm. with color blindness. Uh, so day one, I broke that ice Mm. when we were talking about getting on the bus and where we're going to sit. And Jeff said, I sit in the front seat. And before he finished, I said, I'm not sitting in the back of the bus. And I took the air out of the room (laughs) until I smiled and then people started laughing (laughs) like, I'm not sitting in the back of the bus. No way am I sitting in the back of the bus. I would have loved
0: to have seen Jeff's face in that moment. It was about as red as one of those cushions, (laughs) right? It's
1: 50% joke and it's 50%. Let me just break the ice and remind you, my team members, that I don't look like you. Right. And if anyone's going to stick out in this foreign country, it's not going to be you because there's all kinds of people. I think we saw at the market like four different mission strips that were there when yeah. we were there, from different organizations. There's all kinds of people here who look like you. Yep. There's no one that looks like mm. me. They don't see me and see American. They look at me and if I if I have mm. a beard, so they see Muslim. Mm. If I was clean shaven, they would have thought, "What part of the continent of Africa is he right. from?" Right. In, in Southeast Asia, they don't instantly think African American. Uh, they think, "What part of the world are you from?" And and depending on where you're at, that could be problematic. So yep. I, I did that joke to just remind my family that I was with on that trip. Yeah. Hey, don't forget me. You all are experiencing this from a different culture, but I'm experiencing this from like two different cultures. Uh, and so uh, that matters. And so I I don't think that answered your question that you're wrestling with at well, all, but it's
0: it's no, kind of it, how I processed that it, training. It, it was definitely helpful. There. There's actually a few rabbit trails <clears throat> I would love to chase down. Um, but I think one of the things that as you were talking struck me is, um, maybe one of the ways in which uncharted, like an area of improvement is and correct me if i'm if i'm misinterpreting what sure. you said if we're strong in helping people identify white saviorism and how white saviorism can really easily show up in the context of global missions maybe one of the responsibilities we have is to in appropriate ways bring that like quote unquote bring that back to the states sure. and say guys white saviorism isn't something that just happens in a global context yes. That we as white people, as the predominant culture or the majority culture, I should say, the majority culture, um, like we need to be aware of how white saviorism happens. There, there's the potential for it every day in our life. You know, I mean, if you look at that definition of, you know, doing, doing something basically for the sense of feeling good about yourself mm-hmm. and you brought up some examples. Um, so maybe that's a way in which our training could be more honoring to our brothers and sisters of color who come on trips with us is to not only say, Hey, this is an issue we all need to be aware of as we go into a different culture and context, but it's also something we need to be aware of right now today here. Yeah.
1: Well, some of the material uh, that the training is based on, did you use uh, some stuff from when helping hurts? Yes. That that entire text is the U S context. Yeah. That entire, most of the framework I should say at least half of the framework of that line of thinking of, of how to do mission, how to serve, how to feed people without creating bigger problems. It actually comes from inner city America before it's a, before it's exported around the world. Uh, So yeah, sure, there's criticisms on short term missions and all of that stuff. But but a lot of the, that book and the thinking that flowed from that book, uh, that kind of changed how we do mission work, as you know, started right here. Mm. It started with how we do, I, I'm, I'm the chairman of the board of, of Manic Cafe Ministries here in Clarksville, mm. We're one of Middle Tennessee's largest feeding programs. Uh, we'll we'll give away over two and a half million pounds of food this year. Mm. As we speak right now, there are people, what day is it, Tuesday? So tonight there'll be two hot meals feeding probably four or 500 people mm. uh, in our city. And we wrestle with that constantly. There's a real mm. uh, food instability. There's real You know, poverty. There's a lack of access to food. There's a lack of jobs. We get all those things, so we still have to steward. Though we got resources, we need to feed Mm -hmm. people. Um, But how do we not create a Mm -hmm. system of dependency? And so, for sure, um, yep, those are all real issues we're dealing with right here. And so, I think global missions agencies would do well to not. Kind of goes back to what we're saying. It's the blindness of the whiteness. It's the yep. blindness of the, um, the American way of thinking yep. to not realize that, wait, 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 we can't just solve this as we go somewhere else. We have to solve it in our everyday. We yep. have to solve it where we live. Yep. In fact, we might be hypocritical to go solve it across the country. Absolutely, uh, Isn't that the big pushback we get when we try to get people to go on right. mission trips? Why are we giving all that money? Yep why sponsor that compassion kid when there's a hungry kid Mm -hmm. here in Tennessee, Mm -hmm. by the way, I've never met a person who says that who's actually feeding the hungry people where they live. (laughs) Just going to throw that out there. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I've never met the person who's complained about sponsoring a kid who's actually sponsoring one here in the (laughs) States. Um, But I think it would be helpful for us to maybe start there, maybe start with this idea of, uh, americanism and yeah. where we live that's hard to do because again we've got the you know one of the largest military installations in america right. on earth we've got the hot the most deploy, deployable mm. pocket of soldiers over the last 20 years you know mm. are 10 miles away from where we're recording this right now they've spent more time in the middle east and and parts unknown uh doing bad things to bad people mm. uh so anything you say that that comes up against that flag that comes up against the American way is going to be a shock Mm. to the system uh, of where we're at, you know, if you're in the South or in the Midwest. So you have to be careful in saying that. So I would just say, let's strip, let's strip those words of their moral authority. That's what I love about some of the healthy rhetoric on being an anti-racist versus Mm -hmm. being a racist. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you strip the moral authority away from that and say, wait a minute, racism isn't something you are, it's something you do. Well, behavior you can change. Who I am, that's so interwoven Mm -hmm. with all these other things. That's why people get so defensive. I'm not a racist. And they and the blinders come up and they just refuse to see racism as a problem. Because if it's a problem, well, what if I'm a part of that problem? So they Mm -hmm. attach it to their identity. But when you say, no, 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 actually, this is a behavior. And it's a way of thinking. And if you shift that, you can be part of it. So for white savior, that white savior complex when it comes to world missions, it would be the same thing, I think. Mm -hmm. Let's not... Don't look at being American as bad. Don't look Mm -hmm. at the American way of doing things as bad. It's just one of the many ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. And we have to acknowledge, this is research 101. Researcher 101, if I was teaching a class in qualitative research to you, I would tell you the first thing you have to do is acknowledge your bias. Mm -hmm. In in qualitative research, the researcher is the instrument. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing a case study, for example, I am the instrument that's measuring all of the data. And so I have to account for my perspectives, my worldview mm-hmm. and how that is going to interact with my data. If I'm to have any hope of producing valid results that can be used, mm-hmm. I have to start with, okay, I'm studying church health and evangelical global missions. And I am a pastor in an evangelical church who's right. been on a missions <laughs> trip. And here's my experience yep. in my actual research. I have to say that. Yep. Um, and just by Speaking it into the air, it strips it of its power to right. then influence because now the secret's out. Right, I know it. Yep. In a quantitative study where I'm looking at math, well, the instrument does that job for me. Yep. Um, but since a mission's experience is a phenomenological experience, experience, mm-hmm. um, you have to start with your mm-hmm. your bias. Yep.
0: it's really helpful. Um, I, I'm really there's a lot of questions I would love to keep asking around this idea of. How a missions organization like Uncharted, that, though it has a global focus, could increase its level of stewardship in helping people awaken to issues and realities like white saviorism in our own, in our own front and backyard. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that uh if you're willing down the road, um, that'd be that'd be cool to explore that. Yeah, together let's keep chatting about that it. together. I, I am curious, have you experienced just locally? Whether it's been in a corporate context or you individually have you been have you felt like you have been or were you the recipient of white saviorism?
1: Oh, yeah, all the time most of the rooms do you mind,
0: do you mind sharing an example sure, or two sure,
1: most of the rooms that I've been in I just shot an email to a pastor who encouraged me this morning and told him uh that I've been very close to walking away from white evangelicalism mm. because. I know the reason I've been in the room is because I'm safe, mm. because I'm not pushing any issues. I'm not making you comfortable. The mm. burden has been on me in 15 years of vocational ministry. The burden has been on me to make my white friends comfortable mm. um, and to, and to code switch and to, and to not be able to fully experience the culture mm. uh, that I grew up in, whether that's my black culture or Puerto Rican culture, Uh, because it's so different. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've been the anomaly. I've been in denominational meetings where there were less than five people in a room of 400 Mm -hmm. uh, that were black people. There are probably some more Hispanics in there for sure. So I have felt like at times I was the token guy. Mm -hmm. Let me bring you to the table Mm -hmm. because we need one of you Mm -hmm. um, to the table. Well, let me show you a better way. Well, let me show you why. Racism is not really an issue, and it's just a sin issue. Uh, I've, I've had several of those encounters uh, happen to me. And again, none of it's helpful. Um, in fact, when Ahmaud Arbery was killed, I shared some thoughts from Dr. Bernice King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter, who is the CEO of the King Center. She shared some simple thoughts on the process of white supremacy and how white supremacy as an ideology uh, leads someone to think that they have a right to stop a person of color and that person of color better do what they say because they stopped them. And I have a right to question, why are you in my neighborhood? All of that is so fueled in that white supremacist Mm -hmm. ideology. So I shared that and had someone that I, I think I've had maybe a 45 minute conversation with them once in my life. So it was one of those loose conversations, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, they, it just became an all out attack on everything that I would share and, and, and and present to the world Mm -hmm. an all out attack. And as I was getting more and more frustrated, I realized, oh, they actually think they're saving me. Mm-hmm. This, you know, sixty-year-old white evangelical man actually thinks it's his job mm-hmm. to be a spiritual authority in my life and correct the things that I was wrong. Now I'm forty years old. I- I've been through some things, and 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 so where that's painful again is again it takes you back to that kind of Paul, Second Corinthians, of wait a minute. 40 year old grown man combat vet with all of these yeah. degrees and yeah. letters behind my name. But at the end of the day, all you see me as is a young black guy who's misinformed yeah. and it's my job to come in and save you. It's my job to come in and correct your theology and show you, you know, the way that you're right. And so that's yeah, just was, frustrating. Listening.
0: That reminds me of, of what you said. Uh, I think it was one of the interview or sort of panel discussions you had here at your church. Yeah. And, and I appreciated just your vulnerability and your honesty about like, don't, don't you think I have mentors in my life oh, yeah. who are yeah, calling yeah. things out and who are identifying things in my life. And you were very respectful in how you did it, but just sort of identifying like sort of that level of arrogance for, you know, that, that person to come and try to save
1: me, quote unquote. Yeah, exactly. And, and and I didn't have the white savior language in my mind at the time. Right but now that we're talking about it, that's yeah. exactly why it was so hurtful. Yeah. And uh, I actually regretted saying that in that panel because I was like, "Oh, that was just pure raw pain." Like my filter was off at that moment because <laughs> yeah, it a- just happened that morning. Right. So backstage, I was. That was at LifePoint Church here in Clarksville. My friend Pastor Mike Burnett. So backstage, he and I were talking about it. Um, I think it happened the day before. But anyway, so he'd known I'd been yeah. getting all these texts and these, and I would I would send them to him and say, "Hey, question." are any of your black church friends sending you messages like this? And mm. I'd send them a screenshot of different people telling me, mm. stop talking about race, preach mm. the gospel. You need to step down as a pastor. That was the funniest one. Wow. Um, and he said, nope. But he said, but I got some white guys sending them to me. And he sent it back. So we kind of had a laugh over, yeah. okay, yeah. we're seeing the common thread of right. people that are bothered by right. this. Um, but in this one particular case, yeah, that's where it hurts so much. It yeah. was, first of all, I haven't talked to you this person in years. Like we haven't had a face-to-face conversation in years. And the first thing you want to say to me is that. um, Like I don't have uh, a lead pastor that I'm accountable to and a church staff and elders and uh, a circle of accountability that's so big. I can't name all the people Mm. that have access, real access. It's one thing, I'm not talking about like some nineties men's group, fake accountability. You know, did you watch something bad today? No, I'm being like real people. Is that too far? Y'all gonna have to delete, edit that out. No, uh, that sort of stuff stays in. Good. Uh, I'm talking real people who can text me right now and say, Hey, Carl, you're being an idiot. What are right. you doing? And I have people at various levels, people who are coming up behind me in life and leadership, people mm-hmm. who are my peers and spiritual fathers who are 20 years older than me, who mm-hmm. can say, Hey son, we need to sit down and talk. Yeah. So I'm not lacking in that. And so, yeah, for a person to just show up and let me tell you all the things that you did wrong. I shared something Uh. yesterday. We're doing this 21 Days of Deep currently in our church. We're doing a service series called Out of the Shallows Uh. on on how to get people into the Word of God for themselves and how to grow and how to live the life of Jesus. And it's really cool. So practically, we're helping people who've never really studied the Bible. Mm. We're helping them with some practical stuff. And one of those is the old school soap method of Bible study, Mm -hmm. scripture observation application. Now I am a biblical scholar published. I know that soap (laughs) is not the best way to study the Bible because it leaves out something called hermeneutics. It leaves out a whole lot of social and cultural things. It makes it very easy for you to interpret. Well, this is what the Bible is saying to me. I get that. However, I also get that it's a great first step for someone who's never studied the Bible. Yeah. But I'm just waiting for the person to email me and say, actually, do you know that soap is not like, I know it's gonna come because it happens to me because some person is gonna think they have to save me from my ill yeah. ways. And I'm not, man, this sounds so arrogant. I know it does for some people. You're gonna think I'm being arrogant. Of course, I'm not above reproach. Of course, I'm open to critique. Of, mm-hmm. co- of course, I'm open to learning lessons, mm-hmm. but I'm only open to that from the people who know me the best. Mm-hmm and love me the most. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing life with someone, Mm -hmm. you have no business trying to speak in, let alone save them. We shouldn't try to save anyone, but if we are going to try to save someone, it should be the people at least that we're really doing life with Jesus saves. We steward. Yeah. We just manage what he has. So those are some experiences that I've had with that.
0: So that, I mean, that's, again, that's really helpful. And even just in the moment listening to you, I'm realizing, um, you know, when we talk about white saviorism in the context of global missions, usually the images that come to mind or the sort of typical uh, experience of that or expression of that is I'm going to go to a developing country. I'm going to, you know, find some really impoverished person and get a selfie with them and slip them some money yeah. and, you know, do all sorts of things that cause terrible depend level, types of dependency and unhealthiness and all of that sort of stuff. And And when I'm uh, learning from you that what I think you're saying is in this context, there's in, in a localized context here in the States, there are multiples expression of white saviorism. But I think one that I hadn't even thought of is more in sort of a, on a, an empirical level on a, you know, let me, let me tell you about your, let the faith yes. you should have. Let me tell you about the the right theology. Let yes. me tell you about the right, the correct worldview that you should be expressing yes. and and what I hear you saying is among other things like, Hey, I'm, I'm open for feedback. I'm open for accountability, but that like anybody should, you know, expect or, or even require like that happens in the context of a real relationship and friendship and things of that nature. Yeah. So that's helpful to hear. Cause I don't think I had really thought about white saviorism. I think I had typically relegated it to like an act or a deed and not so much of, let me correct your mindset or your worldview, yeah. if you will. Um, yeah, the great,
1: so. the great gaslighting of America has been the white culture and white perspective telling black people that right. their problems aren't actually real problems right. or worse, their problems are their fault. right? And that happens at an intellectual level. That's not actually happening in action. Yep. It's happening when just pick a news channel. And they're telling you that everything that you've experienced is not actually real. Yeah. And all that does is just reinforce the person who doesn't want to see their culture. They don't want to see their whiteness as one amongst many. They want to see their worldview as the worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so white saviorism, Western saviorism, mm-hmm. American saviorism, mm-hmm. however you want to look at mm-hmm. it, it's all part of that same closed off me first yeah. mentality. And here's what Jesus comes to do. He comes into a world that was divided and he shows there's a better way. Yeah. You've heard it written, but I say yeah. this. I heard this uh the other day from Sam Collier. He was talking about the the idea, uh Sam Collier and a and a rapper named the Truth, uh, great guys, and they were talking about this idea of love and how when Jesus shows up and says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. Duh, we know that. Mm. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yep, we know that. Mm. And love your enemy. What? That's the shift. Mm. That's the change in the voice. Yep. That's the uncomfortable yep. thing. And uh, I think in America now, that's what we're, yep. that's the the tipping point we're on as is, is Christians is we have to remember the way of Jesus mm. is there's a better kingdom. Yep. There's a better kingdom. Yep. So how does that Good. connect to what we're talking about in white saviorism? is I'm not coming to a culture to bring my version of Christianity. I'm coming to bring the kingdom mm. uh, the, where I go. I want to bring the kingdom of God mm. and the kingdom of God transcends culture and mm. transcend. That's how we can have global church unity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where we find that commonality. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in the finished work of Jesus and it's the work he wants us to do mm-hmm. now. And the danger in these conversations is we can fixate so much on the temporal Mm. and we got to dismantle systematic racism and all of that. And, and it seems good. Uh, and even that is just another form of white saviorism. Mm. I'm so glad so many of my white friends are finally awake, but I just want you to remember that you've been hibernating for your whole life.
2: Mm.
1: And humility says, don't act now. Like you're the expert, Mm. uh, as you're raising your voice, Well, didn't you want us to raise a voice? Yes, we want you to use your voice and and use your platform. Mm. But I've seen the tone quickly shift back to, now I'm going to be the educator. Mm. If I showed my social feed to you right now, most of the people educating me on racism in America aren't black. Mm. Now, I know they're speaking to more than just me. Sure. But they have forgotten that, hey, I follow you too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So- every day you're posting videos and you're posting these thoughts and you're trying to teach me about systematic racism in America, something I've lived with my entire life. Um, And your ability to educate, you're just forcing people to relive the trauma that Mm -hmm. they've gone through. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that intentional? No. But when I'm the savior, Mm -hmm. let me use my white voice to be an ally. Mm -hmm. It quickly, you forget, Oh, wait a minute. Right, I have friends here who don't need to see this all the
2: time. Yeah,
1: um, I would say too. You know the people that are racist in your life. Mm. Just talk to them. I mean, mm. you know how social media can quickly become this echo chamber, and and that's the frustration now. It's just become an echo chamber. It's all noise. What was a good message? Okay, everyone's saying the same thing. Like I'm a black man in America, rolling my eyes at all the things you're saying about black people in America. Like, okay, how's this going to change my lived experience? Mm. How's this going to change my safety? How's this going to change my son's experiences? So we can post and post and post and post, and we can be just as guilty of this white saviorism by being such a loud voice on social media mm-hmm. that we're doing the same thing. Right. We think it's our job to show up. And if mm-hmm. I click like and share, yay, I'm helping and I'm doing my part. Mm-hmm. Um, and really you're not. Mm-hmm. So the real question is how many black friends do you have? Mm-hmm. How many, how many people of color are you doing life with? Mm -hmm. And this is just a person of color issue. We, we could do seven podcasts if we're talking about women's issues or if we're talking about other stuff like, uh, who's, who's, who's on your board of directors. That's what I want to know. Thanks Coca-Cola for telling me you care about black lives. Mm. Show me your Mm. C-suite. Who are you investing in? Right. (laughs) That's the stuff, uh, that really, really matters. Uh, celebrities posting really cool videos. Hey, I'm with you. That's awesome. Which of your friends are people of color that aren't also celebrities? Mm. I'll wait because I know they don't exist. <laughs> right? I know for a lot of people, mm-hmm. that's not really a reality. And so um, I think that savior complex mm. just permeates in everything we do. Mm. And it ties back to original sin. It ties back yeah. to, hey, our beef with God is that we want to be God and we want to fix everything and we yeah. want to control everything yeah. and, and that's the ultimate tension that's what Jesus came to fix and so as, as kingdom people we have to elevate the conversation remind people uh, as as my friend and I say Jesus didn't come to save mm. babylon he came to transform babylonians mm. he didn't come to save rome he came to save romans mm. and and all of these systems all of these nations are going to fall eventually and they're all going to bow down at the feet of the same Jesus our job is to be the ambassador saying, Hey, there's a better Mm -hmm. kingdom. There's a better kingdom. And that kingdom is not American. That way of viewing the world is not, you know, the American
0: way. Yeah. It's really good. There's a lot in there that is really convicting. Thank you for saying that. And, um, thank you for, yeah, just thank you for, um, that honesty and sharing some of the things that you just said that was really good for me to hear. Um, I do have like a lot more questions, but I'm, I want to be conscientious of the time. Um, so one question, it goes back to something earlier that you said, and I've, I've curious about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were talking about your experience in Myanmar, yeah, you were talking about how, when, when people in Myanmar saw you, you know, they probably assumed not that you were an American, yeah. but that you were Muslim. You have a beard yep. and darker skin and things of that nature. So just to share a little bit of like back in 2016, right after the election, I, I never felt the profile of who I am as much as I did right after the election. And I found myself in an Arab predominantly Arab country and, and I could just feel the, wow, I am a white middle-aged uh, you know, people would use the label evangelical sure. male from America. Did
1: you have your beard at the time?
0: Uh, I did. Okay. Yeah. That helps so a little, that little helps bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so like I felt the weightiness of that. I felt like the, um, okay, God, like how do I, and I think you've kind of said this too, in, in, earlier in this conversation, like not be ashamed of that, but like recognize how do I steward this? How do I steward that? I am those things, you know, not be ashamed of that, but how, how do I steward that for your kingdom? And so I appreciated that earlier when you were talking about your experience in Myanmar, you said, um, I didn't even have to ask you, you said like people didn't view you as American. And that was one of the questions I had coming into this conversation. Like when you, when you travel internationally, what is that experience like for you? And you've kind of already answered that, but just to, share with you. Like that's, I, I feel that I feel my whiteness even more. So I feel my Americanness, So not just my whiteness, but my Americanness and all that comes with that. Um, and then you lay on the evangelical yeah. and you lay on the male, you know? And so I guess, I guess I'm curious, like, how does that compare to your experience that you have kind of already answered it? No, that's good.
1: The- so I'll just say, you know, a good bit of my travel was sponsored by the American military industrial complex. Yeah. Thanks to your tax dollars. I got to see the world. <laughs> So I was very much an American, and very much an aware that I was an American, and 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 no matter if I wanted to hide, I couldn't because I wore the clothes of the American soldier. Literally had the badge. I literally had an American flag on the side of my, uh, which brings protection and safety, and it's also a target, right? Yep. Um, So those experiences aside, I'll tell you the safest place I ever felt in my own skin was two weeks in London.
2: Hmm.
1: Two weeks in London was the safest, probably the safest traveling experience that I've ever felt in my life. I felt safer in Westminster, mm. London, than I did, than I ever have walking down Broadway mm. in Nashville, Tennessee. Because in in a place like London, it's the whole world in one place. Yeah. Now, Again, you're going to get the emails. I know that due to the monstrosity of colonialism, that's why London is the whole world in one place because a lot of people were brought there right. not by choice right. or they, you know what I'm saying? So right. yep. I get that every most of the brown people who are non-Muslim who live in the United Kingdom are there because of colonialism. They're there because Great Britain went and took over their country. Uh I get that. Um And that's, again, that's a whole different podcast if you wanted to talk about it. But I just felt so safe because it was the whole world in one place. We were all global citizens and I didn't have to trim my beard down. Mm -hmm. Typically when I get on a plane in the States, I trim my beard down Mm -hmm. to not get randomly stopped as I have been randomly stopped more times than uh, mathematically possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know a little bit about statistical analysis and yeah, that's that's a little too much for me. So I'll even trim my beard down and have to Mm -hmm. adjust the way that I travel um stateside. But man, going to London, you see every tribe, tongue, nation, not yeah. that they don't obviously that's a predominantly white country. They have their racism and all that in the UK, but in London as a city, we heard we were in the the British Museum and we counted, I think we stopped counting at seven unique languages that we heard within earshot cool. of us. Yep. And none of them were English. Yeah. And we just quit we gave up trying to figure out yeah. where are they from, where are they from, where are they from now? Cool. Get it, tourist trap and all that, but um i didn't feel that what you were describing in right. my, in in a middle eastern country yep. um i didn't feel that there i know now going back to a middle eastern country having a beard i'll be even more safe right. um i remember being in washington dc and my cab driver was from uh i think ethiopia mm. and just in chit chat that's the first thing he asked me you're a muslim
2: mm.
1: and no oh, i'm a christian oh, okay me too huh. cuz where yep. he comes from, right? that beard that's means something, that and that's a dangerous something. thing. Yep. And and of course, he's in the states, and he's in the nation's capital. Yep. Uh, but it, it mattered to him. So, mm. I've experienced a positive side, maybe not as much yeah. of a tense field, uh, tense experience as you had. Mm. Now, granted, in Myanmar too, I was with a bunch of Americans, right? So that helped me. So when I say I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like they looked at me like I was an American. That was definitely more when we were out in okay, the city that sure. was definitely more tourist day yep i'm kind of by myself yep. you know uh when i'm walking around the shway and there's no one within arm's reach of me i'm just a mm-hmm. the guy there like everyone else and never felt that tension mm-hmm. of out of place yeah that makes um, sense yeah
2: oh.
0: well to uh begin to land the plane as they say of this conversation i i would love to hear from you and i, I again i think you've already mentioned some of these but what would be two or three i'll say characteristics or or just terms that are that are very much core of the gospel um you know near to the heart of heart of god that as we continue to move forward in conversations like this as we continue to and when i say we i mean like us collectively sure. you know white black brown etc yeah. like just looking at this purely through the lens of the gospel, like what are two or three characteristics or terms that you're like, man, if we could all just embody this together, you know, if we, if we can just sort of leaving us here in this podcast on a note of like, here, here's a way forward. And and it's a way that really reflects who Jesus is in the heart of the father. Um, what would be two or three terms that you would pinpoint?
1: Yeah, it would definitely be the other thinking about the other. Mm. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important things? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's an other's posture. Mm. Someone else is Lord and I'm not. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, the other. So just that posture of, uh, as Paul said, to consider others
2: mm.
1: more highly than yourself, to not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit uh, Philippians two, I think just that posture of the other Mm. changes things and it's practical. It's when we say, Oh, all we need to do is love. Well, that lets us off the hook Mm. because I love fried chicken and I love my wife. Right. (laughs) I mean, that can, that can take you in a a bunch of things you don't actually have to apply. Mm -hmm. You all know those people, right? They want to go deeper. What they really want is to just be confused so much. They don't have to do anything with what you're (laughs) teaching them. Uh, But the other is practical. So I love how Andy Stanley frames it. It's what does love require of me? In every situation, what does love require of me? And I define love as the attitudes and the actions and the demonstrations of Jesus. So he didn't tell us about love in some abstract concept. In fact, he said, this is love laying down my life. I love this. While we were sinners, he sent his son to die for us. So the Bible clearly gives us, here's what that actually looks like, laying down. Good. myself. So I'm laying down my right to be right. Mm-hmm. That's big it's in an age where everyone is an expert and everyone can have an opinion. Yep. I'm going to lay down my right to be right yep. for the other. I'm going to be empathetic because empathy says, I don't feel sorry for you. I feel sorry with you. Mm. Right? I'm going to enter into your pain. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. If mm. you're going to fight, I'm going to fight with you. We'll figure out why we're fighting later, but you're my family and I'm going to join in that fight mm. with you. That's that empathetic process. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to. Man, stay in the fight. I know the struggle is hard. I know this is terrible. I want to move on. I've already moved on, but you're not there yet. And mm-hmm. so, as an encourager, come on. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you along with you. So just be considerate of the other. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. Pick the issue of the day. If we would just be nice and considerate to each other, aren't we learning that from the data with COVID? If we just think about other people, man, we can get out of our houses a whole lot quicker. Yeah. If we would just stop thinking about how it affects us first. Mm-hmm. And start thinking about how all these issues are affecting the mm. other.
0: It's good, awesome. Well, Carlo, thank you so much you. again for not just this conversation, though this has been really significant. But again, just your uh, continued friendship and partnership and engagement with us and with Uncharted, and um, just really glad that that you're part of the Uncharted organization and family and crew and movement and. Um, Thank you for, yeah, I, I look forward to like other conversations. I'd, I'd love to unpack more of your book Yeah. Um, that I had a chance to read. Uh, we haven't even touched on the issue that you are into mixed martial arts. Oh, yeah. I have yeah. a background in some of that as well. So yeah. maybe we'll just have a sparring match on let's a go podcast. For, I got the case to the gym. Or, uh, yeah, could, let's go for we it. We could have recorded this. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's a lot more to come. But um, for this beginning, thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Yep. It's been awesome. Thank you.